Hello, everyone. I'm Major General Tom Carden. I'm the Adjutant General for the Georgia National Guard. This is our second podcast, and today uh, we want to talk a little bit about operational tempo across the Georgia National Guard. Uh, you also hear from our Brigadier General Dwayne Wilson, Commanding General of the Georgia Army National Guard, and you'll hear from Major General Tom Grabowski, the Commanding General of the Georgia Air National Guard. Uh, people are my number one strategic priority. So in that vein, uh, we want to talk a little bit about how we look at managing op tempo uh, from the top uh, of our organization. So I've been doing this now a little more than 36 years. Uh, I've been a traditional guardsman. I've now been full-time with the guard since 1996. Uh, I had a child born uh, when I was on a deployment to Bosnia. Uh, so I've experienced those balanced challenges that all of you are experiencing day in and day out through your service in the Guard. It's very difficult uh, to balance your family requirements, your civilian job requirements, and then the requirements of service associated with your membership in the Georgian Air or the Georgia Army National Guard. And in, and in, in many cases, our volunteers in the State Defense Force obviously are not immune to those challenges associated with op-tempo, and finding balance. So this past year, we had really a record year when it comes to retention and attrition management across the Georgia National Guard. And in fact, the Army National Guard was the number one state in the nation when it comes to in-strength objective versus force structure allocation. So it ended, the Army National Guard of Georgia ended at just over 110% strength. The Air Guard ended the year at just over 97% strength. So you cannot deploy or train a vacancy. And one thing that we wanna make sure that we're doing uh, is to partner with each soldier and each airman and their families and employers uh, to make sure that we're not getting out of balance. And by way of context, we have members of the Georgia Army and Air National Guard deployed in six out of six geographic combatant commands around the world at this very moment. And it's really been that way for decades, plural. Uh, for example, the 116th Air Control Wing, there's 16 airplanes uh, in the 116th Air Control Wing, and all 16 of those planes haven't been on the ramp at Warner Robins at one time uh, since 9-11. If you look at what happened in the, in the 165th Airlift Wing uh, in just a few days after Russia invaded Ukraine, two C-130s and about 80 airmen were called on with no notice. The country needed them. Uh, in about six days, uh, we had airmen en route to Europe to help European command as they were helping uh, the folks in Ukraine defend against Russian uh, aggression. And it lets you know how relevant you are how important you are, but it's not lost on me what we're asking you, your families, and employers to do. Since we've come out primarily out of Afghanistan and largely out of the Middle East, uh, many people think that uh, deployments are over, and that's just not true. Between now and December of 2024, the Georgia National Guard right now, if things go as planned, will deploy over 2,500 uh, soldiers and airmen around the world. Now, that's a pretty large demand signal uh, for deployers uh, across our services. So it's not going to be tremendously easier uh, going forward, but the demand signal has decreased some. Uh, but we are still very, very busy. And so as we come out of the larger deployment demand signals, and then you take a look at what we've been through 
uh, since March 2nd of 2020, uh, when we had our first two positive COVID cases in the state of Georgia, civil disturbance, securing the peaceful transition of power. The Georgia National Guard has never been busier than we've been in the last two or two and a half years. Again, all of that factors into our focus during this podcast and talking about how do we manage that going forward. So we bring a lot of soldiers and airmen into the Guard that are interested in furthering their education. One of the things that we're looking at is how do we ensure that our training uh, is scheduled in a way that is predictable so that you don't come in and earn a benefit and then we essentially uh, close the door to you availing yourself of that benefit because you know we do training at the wrong time and you miss an entire uh, semester of college. And, and sometimes that's unavoidable. If you're in a unit that's going to a combat training center rotation, that is also linked to a deployment. Well, in that case, we're trying to bend the odds in favor of you accomplishing the mission and coming home safely. So it's very difficult uh, to really do both uh, helping you get through school and making sure that you successfully or have a better chance of successfully navigating uh, that deployment. So in that case, we've got a default toward you being uh, as trained as you can be, as equipped as you can be, because we owe that to you and your family. However, uh, we do a number of high-end training events that are not directly related to a follow-on deployment. And in that case, we've got to look at every soldier and every airman on a case-by-case basis and make sure that we're not inadvertently doing those things that closes the door on you being able to further your education. That's so important to your future. You sacrifice to earn it. And we want to make sure that we're doing everything that we can do to help you get there uh, by working uh, with your registrars, with your school administrators, your student life executives at, at your different colleges and, and universities or technical colleges to, again, just to make sure that we're helping you uh, leverage your benefits and to improve your education. The other piece that we're taking a look at uh, as we try to manage out tempo is, is looking at things uh, with respect to uh, key family events. Say it's a, a child's first start in a, in a ball game. Uh, if it's uh, you know, a, a graduation, uh, a recital, some of those pivotal moments that many of us uh, have had to miss over the years. Uh, at, at the end of the day, I think what we have to do is make sure that we're having those conversations. We need you to be at key training events for sure. But at the but we have got to make sure uh, that we make those judgments very carefully. And in fact, uh, at this point, we're staffing a policy uh, where if we have unit training uh, that's going to exceed 39 days a year, because if you look at your AT days uh, for annual training, and you look at your drills, uh, the baseline is, is 39. Now, many of you watching this will chuckle uh, because you've done far in excess of 39 multiple times over the years if you've been here very long, and I recognize that. Uh, but I've never uh, in all my years uh, watched this organization struggle with training, right? but I've watched us struggle with making sure that we recruit uh, and retain 
quality soldiers and airmen across our formation. So we've got to make sure that we're assuming risk uh, at the right places. And so my direction to both of the component commanders is, hey, we can't train a vacancy. We can't deploy a vacancy. And we've got to make sure that we balance uh, what we're asking soldiers and airmen to do with key life events uh, with their families, uh, with their, their jobs and education, uh, and make sure that we're also balancing our requirement to build both readiness and lethality. Uh, at the end of the day, we have a memorial wall here at Clay National Guard Center, and I tell people that my primary job description is to make sure that we bend the odds in favor of this organization always standing and delivering for the state and for the nation and getting the mission done and making sure that we never put another plaque on our memorial wall. So we're all involved in a very serious business, but it's not lost on me what we've asked of you, your families, and your employers. So this discussion uh, about op-tempo and what I'm calling a, a plus 39 policy where senior leaders have to come together and have a discussion. Uh, if we're gonna train a unit more than 39 days a year, uh, then we're gonna sit down and review that in the context, again, of your family, your families, uh, your employers, and your school requirements. If it's linked to a deployment, it's really not much of a discussion because then I have a moral and ethical obligation to make sure that you're as best trained as you can be. Um, but if there's something discretionary uh, then we're going to take a hard look before we ask units uh, as a unit uh, to train more than 39 days a year. Now, many of you do that in a volunteer status and not uh, being compelled to do it, and that's fine, and we'll continue to have uh, soldiers and airmen uh, do additional days uh, in a voluntary status to help set up training or tear it down uh, at the end. None of those requirements are going to go away. I just think we've got to work a little bit harder and think a little bit more about how we, we manage that. I think bad organizations will tell people uh, to do more with less. Uh, my thought as a leader is we need to do less with less, uh, but we've got to do more of the right things. And it's got to be focused on making sure that we build readiness, we build lethality, that we meet our obligation to train you to the level that you're supposed to be trained, right? So that we don't make you less safe Right? And we have to be able to stand and deliver for the state and the nation. Now, I've never uh, met a soldier or an airman uh, that left the military, uh, the Guard included, that had been out more than about four or five years that left in, an, in, a, in a good standing uh, to tell me that they're glad they got out of the Guard. Uh, but I've certainly ran into a lot of soldiers and airmen that have told me that they regretted getting out of the Guard and they wished they had stayed. I want to make it a lot easier for every one of you to say yes uh, when it comes down uh, to your retention decision. So as we cover this subject and many more, uh, we need your feedback. Uh, during our first podcast, uh, we got a couple of comments on the page. I certainly appreciate those comments. Uh, we take those serious. I read them myself. Uh, and we're going to go back and we're going to address many of those suggestions uh, during future podcasts. And, and my message to each one of you, your families, uh, your employers, and those who help you uh, and enable your service, help you with your education, uh, help you in your, in your family life, thank you uh, for what you do. This organization wouldn't be the organization that it is 
or be able to do the things that we do day in and day out without soldiers and airmen, without families, without employers that sacrifice for the security of the state uh, and this nation. I couldn't be more thankful uh, for each and every one of you. I'm humbled to be your senior servant. I look forward to your comments as we move forward in our effort to reach out to every soldier and airman uh, through this podcast series. Thank you.